the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you willing to be offended for the sake of their salvation? Ultimately, if the unbeliever in your midst is going to be offended, let it be because of the gospel presentation, not the gospel presenter. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. Now, there's a very important caveat in verse 21 in which Paul reminds us that he is still under the law of Christ. In other words, though he will adjust to a large degree to appeal to those without the law, he is not free to do whatever Gentiles do, or the Jews for that matter. He still has an obligation to obey Christ and God's moral law. In other words, accommodate on a social level, but do not sin. Do not misrepresent God. Do not water down the gospel. Do not participate in their pagan or secular worship. And this makes sense because this is why he's doing what he's doing, to honor Christ. He's doing it to honor Christ. You don't dishonor Christ to honor him. It's like the the question I would get a lot of times back when I was in college ministry. I ministered to a a lot of Asian Americans who uh, were really pushed to put studies above church, even by their Christian pastor parents. And they would ask me, they say, I should obey my parents and not go to church, right? Because the Bible says, obey your parents. I said, no, God said, obey your parents. So you default to obeying God first. Small group, sure. Men's group, sure. Miss it, but not church. Not church. You obey God there. You don't listen to your parents, pushing them to marry an unbeliever, whatever it may be. And so you understand what he's saying here. You get this. He is not a free agent. He is still under Christ's authority. He is giving up his Christian liberty for the sake of God's glory through preaching of the gospel and the conversion of souls. But he does this for God and in God's way. So much so that he even in his freedom, he uses it to become a slave to all. For us, this is a good reminder that we do not preach the gospel by any means. It makes no sense to violate the gospel in order to preach the gospel. You know how many seeker-sensitive churches, if you look at their doctrinal statement, it's the same as ours? It's shocking because none of that comes through in the sermons, and they justify watering things down, avoiding major parts of the gospel and theological tenets to get people in the door because more people in the door, the more we can share the gospel with them. Problem is they're not sharing the gospel. They're doing exactly what we're saying not to do here. They've taken it too far. So when we talk about becoming as others to win them, this does not mean engaging in their sinful lifestyles. If you are strongly tempted to do those things, that means don't even be around them when they are engaging in those things. Listen, sometimes we think that way. 
that my coworker is really into partying and just these hedonistic, there's a lot of drinking and drugs, and I just feel like I can't share the gospel with him unless I go to those things. Didn't you just say he's your coworker? Do you work at that club? Even the most pagan, sinful, hedonistic people have normal lives in society outside of their sin. They have normal jobs. They have families. They are involved in social activities. They have lunch at the work cafeteria. You do not have to give in to their pagan practices or worldly immorality to win them to Christ. In verse 22, he gives us a final category to the weak. I became weak that I might win the weak. By the way, all of these categories, there would have been converts from these categories in the Corinthian church. And so they would have said, yeah, this for me, Paul. You did this for us, Paul. But who are the weak? Since we're talking about the salvation of the lost, we know that Paul is not talking about the weak that he referred to in chapter 8. Those were Christians, the weaker brother that you may cause to stumble by eating the meat in the temple. Here he's talking about unbelievers. What are weak unbelievers? Well, on a social level, in terms of a group of people, these would be the people that are not at the same social status as you are. They don't have the same background, the same education, the same finances that you have. People that simply because of your job, because of, you know, you go to your job and then you go home and then you have your church, you just don't interact with these people. You work at at a place where it's primarily white-collar jobs and the blue-collar people come in after work to, to clean up after everyone's gone, to sanitize these days. Perhaps this would mean presenting the gospel in a way that you normally wouldn't. I don't mean watering down. I mean presenting it without big theological words. Explain what the word sin means. Don't roll your eyes when they ask you what's sin. Maybe it's a simpler presentation. Maybe though you're talking to an adult, you would share the gospel as you would to a child. Maybe you would repeat things over and be more patient. For you, this may mean that though you are middle management, you don't avoid sharing the gospel with the janitor or the intern or the parking attendant. The gospel is not too good for the poor and uneducated, so neither are you. And when it comes to our evangelism in 21st century America, again, Paul's categories of people, groups do not translate directly, but we get the point. Whomever it is, we must be willing to accommodate for the sake of the gospel. And this is very important. This is key. This goes beyond just being who you are and sharing the gospel with those who are like you and are within your circles already. This also means to share the gospel with other people, but to go even further. If there is a person or group that you can't seem to connect with, you don't just say, well, I'm not going to share the gospel with them. I'm going to share it with them. No, you learn how to connect. You learn their culture. You learn their hobbies. You read up on these words that you don't understand when he talks about his cycling or his gardening. I don't know what he's talking about. Then go research what that means so that you can win them to Christ. You can find a point of commonality more than just your work if work is not enough. This takes effort. On a social level, you may not care if they accept you or not. Who cares? On a spiritual level, you must care. It's not about you. It's not about wanting to be liked. It's about the gospel. It's about open doors for the gospel. And I would say you need to start with where you're at. The Lord has put you somewhere for a purpose. And as much as he provides through your job, it's not just for money. It's for the unbelievers around you. The unbelievers that their emails are on your phone right now burning a hole in your pocket. People you were just Zooming with two days ago on Friday. That's why you're there, to share the gospel with those people. 
You know, when we can just take it or leave it, we have the wrong mentality because it's all about money and who pays more. God has put you in that place. You know, talking about paying more, just like you, there, there are many other options that your coworkers had. God placed them there so they can meet you so you could share the gospel. Some of these decisions, some of these people were placed there before you were born. You were born to people in God's sovereignty so that you can share your, the gospel with mom and dad. Your clients, your patients, your students, your coworkers, your bosses, the CEO, whomever it is. You've heard this referred to as getting out of your comfort zone, but I believe it's more than that. It's getting out of your comfort zone and then familiarizing yourself with their comfort zone so that that becomes your new comfort zone, at least to the degree that they will listen to you preach the truth. In other words, don't just get out of your comfort zone and then enter theirs and then stick out like a sore thumb because it's good for you. It deals with my fear of man. Now, you learn to be like them so that you can share the gospel. And again, all of this will take a little study. It will take constant adjusting, but it's a lot easier in our culture because we are so diverse and accepting. It's a lot easier than it was for Paul where there were clear lines, even boundary markers, certain places that people wouldn't cross the boundary to interact with Gentiles or whatever it may be. It's not like that for us. But there is still a lot we need to learn here. We, we, there are still people. If you find out that they are very quiet, find out. Does it make them uncomfortable that you feel the need to fill in the silence? Or do they like that because they know they're quiet? I don't care how you feel. They want you to wear a mask. Wear a mask because it goes beyond social and political issues. It goes beyond your health and your life and death. We're talking about eternal souls. Take your time. Look, observe, and then preach. See, sometimes there are groups, right? We think this ended in high school, but it didn't. There are groups that we want to be a part of and we feel like we're outside of, and we may want to apply this, and sometimes we get into that group and we feel so good we forget we did this for the gospel, and you don't want to risk, jeopardize your placement in the in crowd by preaching the gospel. Don't forget why you did that. It's easier in this country, but there are foreigners. There are different people. This week I was having dinner with a couple who just got married on Thursday, and they even said it's very different. The groom, now husband, is from Texas. Very different, right? When the waiter comes up to you, hey, how you doing? You say, hey. Uh, I'll take the, uh, app, this app, to, right? They don't really care. But she told me she had an experience in Texas where the waiter said, hey, how you doing? She said, hey, start giving the order. And, he, and the waiter goes, I said, how are you doing? Because there they actually want to know, here we don't. It's another way of saying hi. Learn that. Many of you know that I lived in Albania for a few years, visited several times before that. One of the things about being a good missionary is you spend a lot of time learning the language even if they speak English, you learn the language for their sake and you learn their culture. And a lot of things in other cultures are very rude as opposed to us where we're, we're used to all different, you know, melting pot. Uh, we may still get offended, but we, we're more understanding, especially in a country that was so close and they don't have a lot of foreigners because no one wants to go there. They just don't know that there's other ways of doing things. And so you, you learn. And one of the things that you do is uh, after someone passes away, this is, a very, this is a country with not much hope, okay, because of their history, because of their poverty, because everyone wants to get out, but it's hard to get out. So unlike for Christians and even to a certain degree unbelievers in our country who celebrate life when someone dies, when someone dies there, it's really bad. It's just dark. It's hopeless. 
And so one of the things you do, they have their funerals very fast. It's usually a day of. We cancel classes. Oh, this person died. We've got to go to their funeral. He died last night. And so what happens for days after the person passes is you go to their apartment building. Just picture this old rickety apartment building where the stairwell is open and you go in and there's tons of people milling around because you go group by group. We had our church group, our, our church leadership group, our seminar group, your family would go because these apartments are tiny. And so your group would go in, very dark, all the women dressed in black, and you make a beeline for the oldest man in the room. It doesn't matter if there are people holding their hands out. You shake the oldest man in the room's hand first, not just because someone died. That's always. And then you sit down. It's very quiet. You just keep mum- mumbling, gushlime, gushlime, which is like saying condolences. You generally don't talk much. It's very sad. They usually bring you some juice or some water or some Turkish coffee. You don't spend much time there. There's many people waiting for their turn downstairs. You drink your drink. Don't go too early. Don't go too late. You don't want to be rude. Then everyone gets up. Gushlime, gushlime. Slip some money because they're very poor. Generally, they need more expenses, especially it's a a widow now. Slip a few dollars of cash under the cup that they gave you, and then you leave. One time we did this, and there was a visitor who was invited to this. His parents were missionaries in Albania. He had visited missionaries. He was there because he was dating and planning to propose an Albanian gal, a great gal who was part of our church, part of my young adults ministry. And we're there. We've done this before. It's very quiet. He's American. We're all sitting, getting ready to sit down. You know, we're really quiet. Okay, just his name's not Mike. But Mike, sit down. He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to let her sit. The ladies should sit. Because <sighs> he brought his American culture in. These people are mourning. And you're going to make waves because you want to be what you consider chivalrous, which they do not, by the way. And I know that bothers some of us because in America, the chivalry, women sit down, you know, we got to be chivalrous. But that's rude there. You're rude if you do that there. And in fact, if you still think that you should still do that, you're probably a little arrogant thinking that our way is the right way, that what you think is right is the right way. That's our culture. Well, we're Americans. Our culture must be right, right? Wrong. If you have ever traveled outside of America, I guarantee you, you have offended people. But if you have stayed in the tourist areas, they don't care. They accommodate it. They're going to talk behind your back in their own language. But you have offended them. (laughs) And it started with asking for an English menu. Are you kidding me? Come on. They all have them in the big tourist spots. We walk around with our backpacks and our shorts. You look around. No one wears shorts. No adults wear shorts in this country. They definitely don't wear backpacks. Right, depending on where you go. But we're American. We do what we want. We're loud. You know, we don't even notice that everyone's quiet in the restaurant except for the Americans because it's rude to be loud in public places. We don't care. We're American. And this is what we bring into our evangelism with other Americans. My way is the right way. It's the gospel. It doesn't matter. It's the gospel. It does matter. And this brings up a good point. No matter how right you feel it is, you cannot make social and cultural issues more important than the difference between heaven and hell. Stand up against Asian-American violence. Thank you. But not as important to me as the gospel. Do black lives matter? Yes, they do. But not as important as the gospel. I'll take brutality and non-acceptance in this society any day of the week if it means I can preach the gospel. This is how we must think and feel and live. This is what Paul did. Beaten to a pulp many times. 
The reality is we are often way more passionate and vocal about political and social issues than we are about eternal issues, and that must change. That must change. Are you willing to be offended for the sake of their salvation? Ultimately, if the unbeliever in your midst is going to be offended, let it be because of the gospel presentation, not the gospel presenter. Let them be offended by God and not your personality, your politics, your ignorance of their lives, or even things like your hygiene. Brush your teeth. You know, we say, well, it's God. God's going to do the work. Look at John the Baptist. Camel's hair coat, eating locusts and honey, living out in the, the desert. Be my guest. Actually, don't do that. doesn't matter. It's just the fear of man, you know, just social norms. This is spiritual. This is the gospel. I get it. But if they're not going to listen to you, because you don't know how to dress properly for the occasion, because you want to witness to your friend and join him in a cycling club and you don't even know the parts of a bicycle, it takes work, guys, and it's worth it because we're talking about the gospel. John the Baptist was unique. You follow Paul. You follow Christ. I have often said, and I truly believe this, there is a distinction between spiritual maturity and social maturity, but I truly believe the two are very much linked. They have to be because of this passage. You can't just be socially awkward and say, it's okay because I have the Lord and the Lord's going to do the work. Paul is saying, no, you got to, you got to stop being socially awkward. Gentlemen, when you want to buy that piece of clothing and your wife says, hmm, don't buy it. Well, well, I like this pattern. She knows, okay? She knows, okay? Buy it, wear it at home. Bother her. And you're saying, but it's clothes. Yes. That's the easy part. Wear a suit when people wear suits. Dress down when people dress down. Ask, call, hey, what are people wearing to this? Is this a casual wedding? I've never been to a wedding at the beach. Do I still wear a suit? Find out. Emily Post, pick up a book on manners. And know if you're dealing, no offense, with a millennial, they probably have a different set of manners than Emily Post would tell you. But if you're talking about someone who cares about these things, If you're talking about someone who just moved here and works now there and he's from the UK, find out. Learn. Eat. Don't eat. Speak. Don't speak. Use their lingo. Do it well. Inclusive service. This is for everyone. Finally, real quickly, we've seen the intentional slavery, the inclusive service. The final commitment is immeasurable sacrifice. Look at the end of verse 22 and verse 23. I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. The end of verse 22 summarizes the extent to which Paul goes for the sake of the gospel. He says, all things, all men, all means. And again in verse 23, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. This is my life, he says. And though this seems like a lot, it's it's simply a small reflection of the Lord himself, the Lord that we serve. Jesus became what we are so that he could save. Paul is simply doing the same to the degree that his finite human abilities allow him. Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Luke 22.26-27, The one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For he who, for who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I, Jesus says, am among you as the one who serves. This is what biblical love does. It does everything possible within the bounds of Scripture 
for the sake of others. And look at the return in his investment in verse 22. All things in exchange for some. In our world, that's a bad return. That's a bad investment. But in God's kingdom, the effort and sacrifice is worth it, especially when you take into consideration God's glory and His sovereignty. And I'll mention this as I've mentioned before. Obeying as a believer, glorifying God in evangelism has nothing to do with converts because you don't do that. You want to glorify God in evangelism? Evangelize. He will convert if He wants to convert. If they're elect, they're elect. Our job is to present and present in this way. At the end of our passage, Paul explains that he does all so that this does all of this so that he may, quote, become a fellow partaker in it, it being the gospel, literally to become a co-partner with others in the gospel. The idea is that he is sharing in the blessings of the gospel with others, which is how the NIV and ESV translate it, by making the gospel known and seeing it work in the lives of others, we find a fellowship with those others. And in turn, as others are helped and blessed, so our own joy and blessing increases. And I guarantee when we get to the point of Paul's convictions that he is willing to make immeasurable sacrifice for the sake of the gospel, then we will also experience immeasurable blessing and joy. Another paradox of the reality of Scripture in the Christian life. The more you give up, the more you gain. The more joy you have, the more you are blessed. And so three commitments for effective evangelistic ministry Intentional slavery, inclusive service, immeasurable sacrifice. Real quickly, I want to make a couple clarifying points. Remember, this is not just about preaching the gospel by all means necessary. It also means living out the gospel. And so firstly, to clarify, I've mentioned this already, but becoming all things has its limits. As one of the greatest theologians alive currently said, D.A. Carson, this is not a license for unlimited flexibility. You can't water down the gospel or compromise your ethics. You cannot definitely compromise your monotheism for the sake of the gospel. You are not to sin or violate your conscience for the sake of evangelism. Dressing a certain way or washing your hands before dinner is different than kneeling before an idol or taking a hit of marijuana. You get that. There are limits. Secondly, this is not about the fear of man. This is about the fear of God. We don't capitulate for our own reputation, but are willing to make ourselves servants of others for the sake of God. Please don't use the fear of man as an excuse for your sin, then cover it up by saying it's to win the lost. In fact, the most powerful exhortation we have in Scripture to avoid the fear of man is in the context of evangelism, Matthew 10, 28. You've heard it before. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. He doesn't say don't fear those who can make fun of you or fire you. He says don't even fear those who can kill you. Fear God because he controls the soul. So, my friends, how far are you willing to go for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of others, for their salvation? The world is willing to go very far for their beliefs. Great discipline, great sacrifice for what they believe in. But with them, there is a consistent pattern, a common thread. They are willing to sacrifice others 
for themselves. Time with their family. Sacrifice their, rela- their relationships. You get in my way of my success, you're out of here. I don't need friends like that. Plenty of people get rich stealing other people's money. Other people's innocence and happiness. They're willing to rob and take away for their own happiness and success. To satisfy their own anger, to make a point for their social movement, they're willing to destroy other people's property, but not us. While they sacrifice others for themselves, we sacrifice ourselves for others. Are you all in in the Christian life? And if you are, does your life reflect that? From your pocketbook to your schedule, from your relationships to your speech. Why? Why do we sacrifice ourselves for others? Why is it all about others, 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 others? Very simple. Why others? Because we follow and serve the one who sacrificed himself for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to model your sacrifice, your willingness to send your Son, that you, Lord Jesus, became something else. May we be willing to do the same, but more importantly, may we get rid of whatever is in our lives that's holding us back, focusing on the wrong things, loving the wrong things, looking like the world for the wrong reasons. Help us to become slaves to others, to become all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. Help each and every one of us to know what that means in particular in our lives, where the limits need to be in accordance with our own weaknesses and our own sins, that we would seek the salvation of others. Help us not to be occasional gospel sharers, but preachers of the truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.